Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. A holiday edition. It's episode 58 of Blue Jays Nation Radio. Tyler Uremchuk and Cam Lewis. As always, the pod ugh, is brought to you by DoorDash, where you can use the promo code BJNPODDD. Gets first-time users of the app 25% off and no delivery fees. Coomzy, how you doing, man? How you enjoying snowy Edmonton? Uh, the weather's nice today. I mean, I was in Toronto on the Saturday when it was like plus 17. And then when I landed here, it was minus 28. So that was a pretty intense... Jump. Yeah, it's a pretty intense fluctuation from even now I'm sitting here and it's like minus three outside. So I can't complain about that at all. No complaints. Yeah, I don't mind it. When the wind stays away, it's uh, it's not that bad. And as we like to say, it's a dry cold. Um, really not a whole heck of a lot. Are you drinking a milk to go? What yeah, an drinking, aggressive it's a, drink choice. It's a coffee flavored milk to go. What's aggressive about oh, that? It's like okay. a milk I, placement that wakes I, you up a little bit. I honestly thought you were just having like a vanilla milk to go. And I was going to say that I just... You didn't strike me as a sit down and have a glass of milk guy. Anyways, now that we got that out of the way. Really? You don't uh, think that I care about my bones and my teeth and calcium? What kind of person do you think I am? (laughs) Uh, Not a whole heck of a lot going on in the baseball world, hey? Pretty fucking bleak. I mean, the um, two sides I don't think have met at all since they announced the lockdown. It's not happening until January, so... That again just like shrinks the window of this getting done before spring training starting in early March. I don't think anyone should have any illusions that this is going to get banged out between January and February at all. Yeah, I mean, I though I don't know very much about how labor negotiations go, um, but why they don't just get to work right away has always been a little confusing to me. Um, hopefully, once talks pick up, each side has kind of had maybe a little bit of time to calm down. And things can move quickly, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm not overly optimistic that this is going to be a quick negotiation by any means. Um, each side's going to have to be willing to take some pretty serious concessions from what they want if we want to see opening day happen when opening day would usually happen. Yeah, I wonder which side it's going to be that's going to cave first. I think the players have more um support from the public and the fans than they usually do i mean i think that i I still think a good chunk of casual fans look at this as oh millionaires whining you get paid so much to play a sport but i think that kind of the advent of social media and social media being as left-wing as it is more often than not um we have a very much so like pro-labor fan base that's very vocal and very loud 
on the internet right now. And I think that might be advantageous to the players. I don't know if we've ever seen that in a major league baseball collective bargaining agreement negotiation, the fans being, or a large majority of loud fans being on the side of the players. Yeah. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to get to a chat with Eric Sabrowski. He's a good friend of the nation. He's a, he's an Edmonton boy. Um, I grew up actually playing a little, I played a little bit of baseball with him. I mainly actually played hockey with him, but he is now, uh, he's a prospect in the Cleveland Guardians system. And I know this is a Blue Jays podcast, but I figured that Canadian baseball fans, it's always nice to get a chance to chat with one of the well, few is maybe not the right word to use, but there aren't that many Canadian ball players playing professionally. So nice to catch up with Eric, who's a young lefty reliever in the Cleveland system. We'll chat with him about a whole bunch of things. I, uh, I saw him a few weeks ago now, it would have been almost a month ago. And he's recovering from his second Tommy John. And he has like the bionic arm on and it's all like whatever screwed what do you mean in place. A bionic arm on missing an arm. <laughs> well, no, like the brace they put you in after Tommy John is like super like? intense. I've never seen it. We can get him. Maybe we'll get him to show us when he, when yeah, he, we'll have on the to, Zoom. We'll have, if, when he comes on, we'll have to take a screenshot and, and put it out on the social channels because I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm going to Google it right now. Actually, Tommy John, what arm brace? Yeah, sure. Oh, whack. Did you get a That's picture of it? Crazy pretty looking. Yeah, it looks like um, yeah. it actually, I don't know. You might be too young for this, but it's one of those concerned children's advertisers commercials. Remember the one where the robot puts himself back together? <laughs> I don't remember, remember that. that. Or are you too young for that? Because you were born young. in like 2007. So you, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a late 90s thing. Yeah, the robot uh, puts his arm on his shoulder with another arm that also isn't on his body. And it's a real mind. Fuck. Okay. Pretty uh, cool. Anyways, Eric's going to join us in a little bit. We'll talk some baseball with him. Uh, but also you uh, pointed me in the direction of some articles, courtesy of Mitch Bannon over at, uh, where were these fan nation sports illustrated.com illustrated, yeah. um, about some potential targets for the blue Jays. Once things do start to open back up again. And let's start with this one. It was uh, four free agent hitters that are fits for the blue Jays lineup. Uh, they were Kyle Schwarber, Kyle Seeger, Michael Conforto, and Jonathan VR. And that one, boy, I mean, that was a that, weird one. That brings back memories. Oh. Um, any one of those four kind of really jump out at you as like a good fit? I think the idea of signing Jonathan Villar is like one of the funniest things imaginable, just because he had an all-time yeah. bad go as a Blue Jay. Like they've they picked up some guys during the Shapiro Atkins days. Um, at the deadline that haven't been very good. Like I think back to 2016 when they went and got um, Scott Feldman. Yeah. And he was dog shit. <laughs> but uh, Villar's right up there with one of those players that I would like never want to see again playing for the Blue Jays, even though he was decent for the Mets mm-hmm. last year. Um, Conforto is an obvious one. I mean, if he winds up being cheap because of his down season, that's one of those players you go after. Kyle Seeger is a real boring name but his road splits are actually quite solid so again if he's cheap not that bad and then schwarber like uh, bk talked about this on our pre-off season podcast is actually a pretty nice fit for the jays unreal power he'd probably hit a ton of home runs at rogers center but none of these guys are exciting i mean none of these guys comes close to filling the void of marcus Semyon. i'm not really no. sure if you can just go and replace marcus Semyon, but i would hope for if if like this fine, if any of these guys are coming in, even if it's Villar, whatever, sure. But you, there has to be a bigger addition somewhere else. Otherwise, I think the idea of a Conforto or a Schwarber, two guys who have the ability to play in the outfield, I could see that happening if they need to move on from a piece like Guriel to get a 
Jose Ramirez deal done, right? Ramirez is coming in. He's a little bit less money. Maybe you can spend up and get a Schwarber, even if Conforto isn't cheap, you're comfortable dishing out the money for him because you have that open spot in the outfield and you can see how the lineup would piece together from there. Um, but yeah, like signing an outfielder right now, I'm not sure how you would really jam them. Someone's got to go. Someone Someone's would have gotta, to go. Yeah. So and the other, the other name, to, the, the name that always comes up is Guriel. But one thing that I'm interested in is Teoscar Hernandez, because I mean, we were just talking about the CBA, but there's, there's been plenty of talk. Um, if the players kind of get what they want and free agency moves up, uh, unless it's grandfathered in, then we could be in a situation in which Teoscar Hernandez is a pending free agent next, next off season. So how much money does he get on the, yeah, exactly. Market? That changes completely the like long-term contract negotiations he's going to have and what the Jays are going to do there. I don't expect him to be the one to go. It always makes sense for it to be Guriel because, you know, a team like Cleveland would love Guriel because he's cheap as dirt and he's a good player. Yeah. But Teoscar Hernandez, same thing, something to look at. I mean, it would be a, it would be kind of a weird thing to see given the position the Jays are in right now, but I wouldn't throw anything out. They also uh, had another article for relievers that uh, could be fits um, among them. Jake Diekman, Chris Martin, Colin McHugh and Andrew Chaffin, 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 Colin McHugh is Colin McHugh is the one that I, I find a little interesting, but also we've talked about this before you kind of have some relievers starting to be set in stone here based on what we saw at the end of last year. And also what are you going to do with Nate Pearson? Like, I think before they go out and spend any money on relievers, not that you can ever have too many quality relievers, but before you spend money there, I think you probably have to figure out what you have in Nate Pearson, or at least what your plan for him is, right? Like if, if you think Pearson's going to be a two, three inning out of the bullpen kind of guy, then it might be a little redundant to go sign a call in McHugh. Yeah, I also think, I mean, this is obviously just the way that these articles are coming out. It doesn't mean anything. It's just the content wheel spinning. But I would hope from a Blue Jays perspective that they go and address their needs as a starting pitcher, which right now is find a fifth guy to replace Steven Matz before they're worrying about bullpen additions. Because like you said, I mean, there's a guy like Nate Pearson, for example, maybe he's the reliever, maybe he isn't, I don't know. But it seems like the best practice to just kind of wait until the end of free agency and look for those names that fall between the cracks. You know, David Phelps is a guy that always seems to wind up on a minor league deal with the Jays. Mm-hmm. You'll find other guys like that at the end. You don't want to be the first team going out and signing a, you know, mid-level reliever to a big contract as soon as the CBA is signed just because you want to sign a guy, right? I don't think that's what yeah. they're going to do, but I would obviously prioritize starting pitching first. Uh, the other sort of storyline that I wanted to touch on before we bring in our friend Eric Sabrowski is uh, the Pete Walker to the Mets as a possible managerial option. Obviously not happening because Buck Showalter is their guy. Um, but it was interesting to see his name pop up in there and also a little interesting, in, I thought, to see the reaction from Jays fans when that did happen. Yeah, that was, it seemed a little extreme. I mean, yeah. Um, it was John, it was just a John Morosi like rumor, not even a rumor again. It was just John Morosi spinning the content wheel. He was saying Pete Walker is very respected in baseball, which, you know, of course that seems accurate because he's done a really good job. And it was, <clears throat> and it's especially in the forefront right now because Robbie Ray won the Cy Young after being, you know, really bad very recently. So Pete Walker is obviously going to get a lot of clout for that. But I mean, there was never even a suggestion that he was interviewing for the job or the Mets had reached out or that he's even interested himself in becoming a big league manager. So, I mean, it was a whole bunch of really nothing. 
Yeah, I would imagine there's interest there from like Pete's perspective, right? Why wouldn't you want to be a manager? Um, the yeah, but the people who are running around being like, if this is true, you need to fire Charlie immediately and make Pete the manager. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, and actually, like Andrew Stoughton has been one, if I'm not mistaken, to point out like. You know, that it's I, as much as we love to make the joke about the Pete Walker pixie dust, like it is more than just Pete Walker, yeah. right? Like there is a whole organization and a system here. It is not just Pete Walker sitting down one-on-one with a reclamation no. project. I mean, like, hey, Robbie Ray, let's get those fastballs in there a little bit more. And then like, ah, yeah, there yeah. we go. It's He's fixed. Like there's more to it than just <laughs> that. Like it wouldn't, it's not like the Jays would come last next year if Pete Walker left. And I love Pete Walker. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a whole process. Like there's, it starts at the front office. It goes down to Pete Walker and different coaches, blah, blah, blah. Like there's so much that goes into this and it's kind of the reality of the Blue Jays having like a larger scouting and analytics department than yeah. what they had before. It's not all just, you know, it's, 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 it's fun to lean into the Pete Walker thing. Just like, let's pretend we have this magic pitching coach and every time they get a new guy, then he just makes him amazing. But that's not even the case. Like they've had different pitchers come through here that didn't pitch well. Like he couldn't fit Tanner Rourke. He hasn't been able to fix Ross Stripling. Like there's a, a million different examples, but I mean, again, still like praise the guy for doing a good job, but oh, yeah. it's carried away. Like Charlie Montoyo had been around baseball forever. I mean, like he's done a fine job as the manager. And if there was a guy in the blue Jays system, who's going to replace Charlie and they have to boot Charlie because he's going to get hired elsewhere. It's Dan Schneider. Like this is the guy that they've been talking about as the, guy who's eventually going to take over because, you know, he was the one who managed Bo and Vlad and the minors and, and, you know, they had success. That's clearly the guy, right? Not your pitching coach. That's a good point too. Yeah. Like there's not even any sort of inkling or guarantee that it would be Pete Walker is the next guy. So it's just so random. Yeah. It was super weird. And it was like an odd little bit of discourse, but um, I'm happy that show Walter got the job in New York and we didn't have to deal with like months of it. The other thing that's coming up is the hall of fame vote. And considering that there's nothing else to talk about in the baseball world, we are going to get fed so much of this fucking nonsense about who should get in, who shouldn't, politics, steroids, blah, 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 blah. It's going to suck. It is. It's always, um, I've honestly found just the Hall of Fame discussion to become just mentally exhausting. In every sport. It, it just sucks. Like it should be something that's cool and fun and exciting to talk about, but it's just everyone has a different way of viewing what they think the hall of fame should be. Nobody agrees on it. There's no standard for who's voting for what. Some people want a big hall of fame. Some people want a tiny one. Some people want steroid users. Some people don't blah, blah, blah. And it's just, everyone's expected to kind of find this middle ground of how it's supposed to be, but that never happens. And you know, you have people, you'll, you'll have, you'll have like ballots we've seen so far where it's like, you know, one PED users on it and one isn't. It doesn't make any sense. Like everyone's all over the grid with this thing. And it seems like you're also going to have so many writers who are just trying to prove a point, right? Yeah. It's just, it's a little corny for me now. Yeah. I I think that's totally fair as well. Um, All right. Let's, uh, let's transition a little bit here and bring in our friend, Eric Sabrowski. He is an Edmonton product, Cleveland guardians prospect. That's a little bit new. Hey, Eric, how's it going? Yeah, I'm still still getting used to that. And especially with the name change that Cleveland's gone through, I, I feel like I've screwed that up a few times already, but uh, things are going well. Thanks for having me. Uh, we were actually chatting about that before we started recording. Uh, what do you think of the new name there? Do you like the gear? Does it all look good? Uh, I don't think we have any Guardians brand gear yet. Um, I think they ran into some problems with that lawsuit. And I don't know if anything's been ordered yet. 
Ah, well, so I've been told. <laughs> it all just says Cleveland baseball team. We're going the Washington route, I guess. That's not bad. I, I've always been a fan of Washington yeah. football team for some reason. I kind of think they should just roll with it. I would have liked Cleveland baseball. That team. grew on me a lot. Like it. Washington football team. When it yeah, like when it first came out, I was confused and wasn't my wasn't my favorite, but it works now. Uh, before we'll, we'll talk about a whole bunch of baseball stuff, but first, how's the uh, recovery going from your second Tommy John? That's insane. Uh, it's going well. Um, as far as, you know, second elbow surgeries go, I'm nine weeks out, uh, this past Friday. So feeling really good as to, um, you know, feeling where I feeling good for where I should be at this point. I'm starting to definitely use the arm a lot more. Uh, no more of that uh, fancy brace that you got to see me in, and uh, yeah, just you know, get to get to use the arm a lot more than uh, I had gotten used to over the last couple of months. What does the recovery process kind of go like? Like, I guess so. You've gone through it twice as a minor leaguer. What what kind of goes into it from start to finish? Like, how do you make the decision? Yes, this is necessary. Is it something the team is like this has to happen? You know, second opinions, this and that. Like, I have no idea what the process looks like. So I'd love to just kind of like get walked through the whole thing. Well, um, the problem with tendons and ligaments that I've, you know, gotten to learn through this process is that they don't really heal. You know, once they're torn or ripped or ruptured, you know, things like that, it, it's it's really hard to you know, rectify that issue with a non-surgical route. Um, both times for me, it's been, you know, the, the UCL ulnar collateral ligament has been, has been torn to enough of a degree that, uh, I had to undergo surgery. Um, the first one, the tear happened when I was in college and just didn't know any better and went from there. And, you know, when I got drafted by the Padres, we figured out I had a bad elbow and, uh, then, this, this time around, um, it seems like that, you know, a corner of the ligament didn't really fuse to the bone anchor to the bone, like it should have. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just falling off. So every time I'd throw, it would just rip a little more and a little more and a little more. And just with wear and tear, it became enough of an issue where unfortunately I had to get surgery again. What's the timeline like for you here? Like you're not pitching at all next season, right? Like it's going to be kind of a full season of rehab and recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Spring, spring 2023 is, uh, my outlook. Um, it's what I'm gutting for. Um, I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll probably throw a few bullpens in the calendar year of 2022, but, uh, nothing crazy. Uh, I think the plan right now is to do a little bit of, uh, the bullpen progression at the end of this season in the fall or next season, 2022 in the fall, and then, uh, shut it down for the winter um, get stronger and faster and then come back for, like I said, spring training. And then that'll be, uh, no limits, just ready to go. Does it drive you nuts right now? Like not getting to do a bunch of stuff like that and not getting to like work on your craft a little bit, or are you still trying to find ways to kind of stay engaged? As weird as it sounds, I've almost gotten like used to this constant rehab cycle, which really sucks, but it's my reality. And, and you know, it, like I said, it's my reality. There's nothing I can do to change it right now. Um, I want to play baseball as a career. I want to play baseball as long as I can. So it's, it's an easy decision to just kind of continue with the so often used grind. Yeah. Uh, you said there baseball as a career, and I want to go back now and, and bring it back to your, to your younger days here in Edmonton, playing baseball, minor ball in St. Albert for a few years as well. Um, you know, 
baseball is not the number one sport in in Edmonton, especially for you, as you came up through minor leagues and things like that and through Bantam and Pee Wee and Midget, when was the point for you when you were kind of like, you know what, I'm really good at this and I want to make this my career. Was there a point where you're like, this is legit or did you just kind of keep following the steps and eventually it just happened? It wasn't, it wasn't really the, a career with baseball wasn't really on the tip of my mind until, you know, I started, you know, hearing from professional teams when I was in my second year of college, you know, hearing that I might get drafted and stuff, um, through high school and junior high and high school, the goal was to go play college baseball and go to a, uh, four-year institution where I can get a lot of my school paid for and, you know, use baseball as a vehicle to, to start my career as, you know, in the workforce or however mm-hmm. you may. And, um, I just, you know, with some right timing and, and some adjustments that I made, I was able to really improve between my freshman and sophomore years. And like I said, come fall of, you know, my sophomore year, I started throwing a little bit harder and just being more of a get or on my way to being a dominant pitcher. And that's kind of when the conversation started. One thing that I'm kind of interested is um, the experience with the draft, because so many people in Canada, most of us, if you're a Jays fan, you're probably also a hockey fan. That's just kind of the reality. And a lot of Jays fans, I think, are primary hockey fans. So their understanding of the draft is the NHL, where there's significantly fewer rounds, you know, seven rounds, MLB is up to 40. So when the MLB draft rolls around and it's your year, do you kind of have an idea you're going to be drafted because for you, it was the Padres, they would have reached out before, or are you sitting there kind of on pins and needles being like, this might happen. This might not. Like how, how, do, how does that all go? So it's, it's kind of common knowledge that you hear from, you hear from a lot of teams and they all tell you they're taking you in the sixth round. <laughs> <laughs> that never, that never happens. Um, like for, for example, I heard that the Kansas city Royals area scout was like, be ready around the sixth, seventh, eighth round where you're going. And, you know, naive me at that time, it was like, hell yeah, I'm going then. And, and it wasn't until after the draft process that I realized that every scout says the same thing to a lot of those guys that, that, you know, you, you might go, but there's a lot of guys that, that don't get the chance to get drafted and, and, you know, they got to start their career some other way. As, as for me, um, I had a, a, enough teams talking to me where I was pretty certain I was going to be drafted. The question was just when, um, like you said, there's, there's 40 rounds, uh, it's played out over three days, first rounds, you know, televised on a Friday night. And then the second through 10th rounds are, you know, also televised, uh, on a Saturday throughout the day. And then, you know, 11 through 40 are basically online on a Sunday. I knew I wasn't going round one. I knew I wasn't going in probably the top six, seven rounds. Um, so I paid a little bit of attention to day two, um, went to bed, you know, grumpy that I didn't get drafted in the, you know, within the first 10 rounds, whatever. But then Sunday morning or whenever it was, I woke up and I don't know. I just had a feeling a couple of the teams that were uh, interested in me had called that Saturday night said, you know, the sorry, things didn't work out there, you know, get ready to be taken tomorrow. And so I, I, I was pretty certain I was going, but like I said, it was just a matter of where and, or when, and um, 
I was pretty fortunate to go pretty early in the day. I think uh, the draft had only been going on for 20 minutes or so by the time uh, my name popped up on the screen. What's the, yeah, what's the, reach... pro... sorry, go ahead. Goomzy. Oh, I, I, uh, I was just going to ask, do you want me to go or do you want to go? No, 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 you go, you go. We're not very organized. Okay. So you go. Cause I just, yeah, I wouldn't word, you know, us. but I, I had an interesting question kind of about the draft. So you went in the 14th round and one thing that has might be changing long-term because in the COVID year, they shrank the draft down to like 10 rounds and they made it. So guys that were undrafted can sign as free agents with different teams. I mean, I I'm explaining it in a very simple and very crude way, but as somebody who was drafted, what do you think of that change in system? Do you think that it's better for it to be like 40 rounds, a whole bunch of draft picks or 10 rounds, fewer draft picks, more guys signing as free agents? What do you think is better? Well, with, with my understanding of it was, I think the most recent draft was 20 rounds mm-hmm. and about, yeah, I think it was 20 rounds. And then uh, guys who weren't drafted were, you know, like you said, free agents able to be picked up by any team. The problem for those guys is, is that there's a pretty small bonus limit when you sign as an undrafted free agent. I think it's 20 grand or something like that. Whereas if you're, you know, you're drafted, there's guys in the 40th round who sign for $150,000, right? If, if just the money works out for the team, stuff like that. So I think the draft allows players to maybe earn a little bit more money up front, actually earn a lot more money up front, but this, the smaller 20 round system allows, you know, guys who weren't going to get picked in the first 20 rounds allows them to kind of, you know, target organizations and be like, okay, the pirates only took one left-handed pitcher in the draft this year. I'm left-handed pitcher. Why don't we try and get the pirates to pick me up? Um, and then, you know, it allows you to go to an organization that you think you're, you might be a good fit in or allows you to go to an organization that has a good track record of development, things like that. So there's pros and cons to both sides. Uh, I know one of my new buddies that I've made with the guardians, uh, he was happy. He didn't get drafted actually. Um, cause he was able to seek out the guardians and, you know, basically give him his, give them his resume and be like, I want to play for you guys. You guys have a good track record. Like, I think I will fit well in this organization. And, and he ended up getting signed by them. So worked out for him. Um, whereas, you know, the 14th round or where I got picked in the 14th round worked out for me. It, it's kind of, to each his own. Everyone has a different story and everyone has different uh, ideas going into it. Now, speaking of drafts, you were recently picked up in the MILB rule five draft, which is a mouthful. Uh, But did you have any idea that you might be changing organizations in, in that time? Or did you just kind of open up Twitter, see the tweet from JJ Cooper that I see is on your timeline and be like, Oh shit, I'm going to the guardians. Well, first things first, you forgot to shut up that I was a first rounder in that draft. (laughs) It's a, it's a lot, I will say it's a lot different than being a first rounder in the uh, MLB draft. Uh, There's no $6 million bonus coming my way, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) Kind of the same thing with uh, the original draft. Um, My agent called me about three weeks before the rule five draft and just randomly on a, on a Sunday or whatever and said, Hey, how much do you like being a Padre? I was like, that's, that's an interesting question from him. I thought just, you know, being a minor leaguer, when you get to know the baseball rules as a minor leaguer, you really have no say in who you play for in the first seven years. 
Um, so I was, you know, wondering, Oh, are they, you know, maybe going to release me or something. And, uh, he mentioned that the minor league rule five draft was coming out and they had just released the triple a protected roster. And if you're not on a team's triple a protected roster, you're free game for the rule five draft. If you meet the right service time requirements, which I had. And so he's telling me that, uh, the rosters got released the previous day. I was not on San Diego's. And uh, he said that morning, he got a couple calls from teams, uh, this was in the lockdown, but they're, they're able to talk to minor leaguers because the lockdown doesn't affect us um, or lockout, not lockdown. My bad. Yeah. Weird. Who could have seen that coming? Um, but he told me I wasn't on the roster. So there were some teams, you know, interested in me. And uh, um, so I, I kind of knew it was coming. And so then it became a stressful month, just not knowing where I would be by the end of the month, if I'd still be in Phoenix where, you know, I don't have roots, but you know, I had had an apartment and had, you know, a lot of my life there or, you know, I could be waking up one morning, packing up and get on a plane to Florida. So mm-hmm. there's a couple things on my mind. Um, as of that morning, I knew I was going, I just didn't know which team. There's a few teams that reached out the blue Jays being one of them, but uh, there were a few picks after the guardians and Cleveland swept me up. And thanks for giving us that little nugget there. We there really we appreciate that. Uh, you know how to yeah. stay on brand with this being a Jays pod. Um, for you though, career-wise, do you view this obviously as like a positive? Like this is something that should, once you're healthy, get you moving up the ranks quicker, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, this is definitely a positive move for me, especially considering a team, you know, wants me and, uh, you know, paid money to pick me up, even though I had take, you know, undergone a few surgeries and, you know, it's, it might be cheesy, but like when you're, you know, on day 300 or you rehab and you got a couple hundred more and, you know, you're doing little just risk range of motion or things like that. It's, it's the idea that someone wants you and, you know, sees a future for you that keeps you going and makes those, those kind of crappy days of rehab worthwhile for sure. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, I would imagine that's, that's something that can keep you going, knowing that like, once you're healthy, there's an organization that that's maybe not saving a spot for you, but they've envisioned a scenario where you're playing a role in their triple a club, which is really good. You can't, you're coming off like a great season as well with the Padres organization. Was there something that clicked for you this year? Once you made that jump up, like you, you put together a string of really, really good starts or appearances. Yeah. Appearances and starts. I kind of had a split role Mm -hmm. as I was coming back, kind of building up innings. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying it was desperation, but knowing that at that time I was 23 years old, came off Tommy John and missed a year because of COVID it was, you know, it was time to show the Padres that I was worthwhile and make it worth it for them. You know, making the investment in my surgery and, and, you know, rehabbing me through, through a couple of injuries, like, it was time to show them that I was worth it and that I could definitely perform and, uh, yeah, just definitely perform. And, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of time during rehab where I spent visualizing, you know, striking guys out and visualizing dominating. And I really think that helped me once I got back on, on a mound in a game. Speaking of, uh, so speaking of being in the minors, so just for listeners, I'm just going to give your stats. So this year in 2021, you pitched at high A for the Padres, 29 innings, 1.86 ERA, struck out 41 guys and walked 12 and only allowed one home run. 
So my question is, it was a um, bomb in regards to. <laughs> Do you remember who hit it off you? Do you remember who hit it off you? Uh, some guy in West Michigan. That's Detroit's farm team. That we were playing in West Michigan, and uh, there was a a playground like 450 feet out in right field, and it landed right in the middle of the playground. As soon as he hit it, I was afraid for a couple afraid for a couple children, but it was crushed. It was it was really. I, I it's one of those ones where I was like, you know what. I threw a bad pitch. He put a good swing on it. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> that's, no, that's all good. That's that's kind of a uh, the the kind of an answer I was kind of looking for. What I wanted to know was what was your first wow? I'm in the show moment. Like obviously you get drafted, and you get a team. You probably get like a ball cap, t-shirt, jersey, whatever. But what was like, you know, maybe facing a guy in spring training or meeting a guy? What really made you feel like, damn, I'm here? Well, you know, I I try and not feel like I've made it because in reality I haven't. And I just try to, you, you don't want to get comfortable with where you're at. Um, especially the minor leagues, like you, you want to have that fire and have that drive to make it to the bigs. One thing I will say is like during spring training, you are right in there with the big league guys in the facility. Like there's a good chance, you know, with the Potters that I'd be working out and Eric Cosmer would be in the same weight room or, you know, you walk by Fernando Tatis Jr. in the hallway and just say what's up. And and so that was really cool kind of being intertwined with those guys. Obviously on the field, they do their own thing. We're, you know, way in the backfields, you know, a hundred minor leaguers sharing two fields. Well, <laughs> they have, you know, six guys hitting BP on one field on the big league side, but it was it was being in the complex and just kind of, you know, just walking by those guys and realizing you're all there for the same goal. Really? You ever have any like cool interactions with any of the guys? Like I would imagine, like you said, a lot of them, it's just walking by and saying, what's up. But did you ever like get a chance to sit down with any of the major leaguers and get to like chat a little bit? Uh, not as much. Uh, one guy that comes to mind is uh, we had Garrett Richards. We, they had, well, the Padres had Garrett Richards and they'd signed him to a two year contract where the first year he was just rehabbing Tom and John. So I was in, I was also rehabbing TJ at the same time. And in the off season, the, uh, the big league guys and minor league guys kind of share the training room and share the PTs. And so there was never one-on-one chats or sit downs, but just watching how a guy like that, a big league, you know, a career big leaguer who's unfortunately battled a bunch of injuries, but just seeing how he went about his work and just, how he, he, how he transitioned through his days was, it was pretty eye opening, and, you know, everyone thinks they work hard and then you see a guy like that. And it's, it was, uh, it was eye opening for sure. You, uh, you talked about the visualization stuff before starting this season in the minors and like, even just listening to a lot of your answers, like thoughtful thinking things out the big leagues thing where you're not even thinking that you've made it yet or anything like that. Is that like a mindset you've kind of always had, or is that something you've sort of adapted and picked up as you've gone along the way, like really focusing on the mental side of things? Um, it's some that I've, I've learned from my, uh, trainer and pitching coach, I guess here in, in St. Albert, actually Taylor Burns, we used to have mental, meetings, uh, mental game meetings with him when we were in high school with the, uh, prospects Academy. And, you know, as, as a high school kid, you first get, you know, have that stuff shown to you and stuff. And you're like, yeah, I don't need visualization. It's, it's doesn't, doesn't really do anything. And then, and then you get to the point where all you have is visualization. 
like for me, there's a long point of time where I'm not pitching in baseball games. And it's uh, really the only thing I could do to keep my mind sharp, sharp in that situation was just, all right, you know, you, you envision yourself at, we'll say progressive field and you know, I'm on the mound and Joey Votto's up to the plate. It's like, what do you do here? And it can be just sitting on the couch or, or even if you're watching a baseball game, you just insert yourself into the situation. And, and it, it's not much, but I felt like it, it definitely helped. And I feel like I had a lot less nerves transitioning back into the game because of it. Yeah, I think I think that's really, really interesting stuff because I think you're you're bang on. Like you mentioned, when you're in high school, I think when you're a young athlete, you just kind of think it's all the the raw power and raw ability. And when you get to a level even even high A ball, right? It's at the point where everyone there has ability to some extent, right? And it's those things I I, I yeah. think it's fascinating the way certain guys can find ways to separate themselves, sort of like you did there. Um, speaking of the minor leagues, we've seen over the last you know, we'll even say 12 months, some changes to the way stuff's being handled there. You know, the change that accommodations, right, are going to be paid for now. For you, mm-hmm. how much more stress-free is your life? And how much of an advantage is that for players like yourself? I don't even want to say an advantage because it's finally like you guys are just being treated like a little bit more fairly. Um, but how much more stress-free is your life knowing that like, okay, like that part of it's taken care of and I don't need to worry about my rent or whatever. I can focus even more now on my craft and on baseball. Well, that, that's exactly it. Um, it's not having to worry about what am I going to eat for dinner because I, you know, rent's due in three days, things like that. It's, it's not when you get sent out to an affiliate, it's not that first week in a hotel being like, Holy crap, there's no apartments in this city for me to live in things like that. Like that. It just allows players to focus on the game and no one's, you know, advocating for minor leaguers to make, a hundred grand a year, things like that. But it's, it's a lot of people retire because they can't afford to chase the dream anymore. And I think it's minor leaguers just kind of want to get met in the middle there. Yeah. You know, you're getting paid to chase a dream. And I, I totally recognize that. But like I said, if people are retiring because they can't even afford to chase it, that's when, you know, you're, you might be losing out on the next Mike Trout or Ronald Acuna just because they, you know, they have a family and need to provide for them. Things like that. I've always said that too. Like we had a, it was a couple of winters ago now, I want to say where we had the stories pop up that like, Oh, this organization is contributing a little bit more money. And this organization is contributing a little bit more money. And Cam, I think you'll agree with me on this. I always said, the first organization that just sits there every year and it wouldn't cost a lot in the grand scheme of baseball. The first organization that sit there and go, you know what? We're just going to commit $10 million to make sure everyone in our minor league system is comfortable. Like you said, Eric, they're going to find more hidden gems than they were before simply because more players are staying in and the competition level is getting higher. Well, two things that I learned from being in the minor leagues uh, to cut in real quick was like the first team to provide housing for its players and provide furniture was Houston. Is Houston a very good big league organization. Yeah. Yeah. They do some shady things, but they, you know, they have some really good players and they focus on development. And then the other one was seeing how the Dodgers minor league affiliates worked. Um, they traveled with a chef. They had a, you know, they pulled a trailer behind their bus and they had a live in chef with the team. Wow. Just things like that. Like he would, and he would cook them their pregame meal. He'd cook them their postgame spread. And, it was the Dodgers way of like, you know, 
obviously nutrition is very important to being an athlete. And it was the, their Dodgers way of being like, this is how we want you guys to eat. This is what we want you to eat. Whereas, you know, no ill will to the Padres. I really appreciated everything they did for me. But if we're eating, you know, thousand calorie fettuccine Alfredo for the fourth week, fourth night in a row, like, is, is that, you know, the yeah. best thing to be eating things like that? And, and yeah, there's, you know, it's different cases for different guys, but in the grand scheme of things, we could be fueling our body with a lot better food. And just so it's, and again, the Dodgers really good organization. No surprise there. You'd think then um, kind of circling back to what we talked about earlier with the draft, say that they do wind up making the draft 10 rounds and more free agents. Obviously more guys are going to go ahead and sign with the Astros and the Dodgers, like you said, or perhaps the Jays, because, you know, a lot of things, uh, a big thing for Jays fans is we always talk about, Oh, like we've got this amazing new facility in Dunedin guys are going to want to play here. So it's like, if the Jays could go and, do like what you said with the Dodgers, have a, you know, with uh, a team cook on, on the trips with them doing cool stuff like that. Then you'd think it would be a pretty significant game changer for maybe just signing more guys or getting more out of their guys. It's kind of interesting to to hear that and, and, and wrap your head around why aren't more teams doing this? It doesn't seem like it would be that much of a cost, right? Yeah. It'd become more of a free market for yeah. the undrafted guys. Although I think it would even out in the wash just with, with guys then would identify, you know, thinner farm systems or weaker farm systems. And, you know, if you're a college senior, that might be the route you want to go. If you're already 23, 24, 24 years old, and, you know, you might get the chance to start your career in double A like that, that would also be something that might be beneficial for guys like that. With, with all this kind of being said and talked about, you mentioned like the lockout doesn't really affect the minor leaguers. Do you pay much attention to the storylines in regards to the lockout? Or is that more of just because you're a baseball fan and maybe not like the player side of you? Like how much have you been keeping an eye on what's going on in that, in that area? Well, there's, there's nothing much to keep an eye on right now. Um, <laughs> baseball likes to move slow on everything. And this, this lockout is no exception. It seems like, um, when I first heard that the lockout was going to happen, there was, you know, questions for your, for my agent and the team and will this affect me? Will this affect, you know, anything to do with me? And, and once it came pretty, pretty obvious that this had nothing to do with the minor leaguers, I kind of just put that in a backseat and, and just, you know, put all my focus and time and energy on getting healthy again. I love going to your Twitter because from the point where you got picked up by Cleveland after that, it's basically just you tweeting about the Oilers and their depth scoring, which is unreal. Um, the next time we chat with you, it'll have to be on an Oilers pod, but Coombsy, unless you got something else, uh, I, this was a blast, Eric. We, I really appreciate the insight. Yeah, that was great. I, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a really cool look into seeing what minor league life is like. It's interesting hearing that note about the Dodgers and just them finding kind of surplus value in what they do with that kind of thing. Yeah, it, uh, it was, it was cool to see. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm, uh, I'm always up for a chat. I will say there is one thing I'd like to add right. at our facility in Goodyear with Cleveland. They have like a Cleveland baseball wall of fame kind of thing. And they have probably 15 feet worth of wall about their, I think it was 2016 world series appearance where they beat the Jays. And every time oh. I see that, it hurts. It hurts a little bit. <laughs> I just, all I can remember is just Andrew Miller throwing slider after slider after slider. And I see that. And it's, you know, brings up a, an old wound. 
Oh, that was a painful. I flew down for that. I flew down for that series from Edmonton and I went to all the home games. They only won the one. It was just an awful experience watching those games. That what was, did they, was it, did they, did Cleveland win in five? Cleveland won in five. Yeah. Cleveland won games yeah. one and two on the road, then came back and won. It was the Trevor Bauer drone bleedy hand oh, yeah. game and then the phase one game, yeah, game they kept themselves alive in game four and then game five was the ryan merritt or mallet or whatever the fuck and he was ryan merritt they, yeah, he's yeah. on the he threw four and two-thirds scoreless innings he's on that wall <laughs> i see it every day is he shaking um, his then, boot <laughs> yeah and my other uh awesome Jay's memory is in 2016 was it, it might've been the same playoff run when they played the Rangers. I was mm. in school in Texas and there was one game. I think they hit like seven solo home runs off you Darvish. Yeah. I was in the nosebleeds of the ballpark at Arlington, probably one of five Blue Jays fans at the stands. And that was quite, quite a time. It was scary getting out of there, but that was that was a really fun game to go to. <laughs> Very high on my list of like my bucket list baseball list is going to a Texas Rangers game with the Jose Bautista jersey. It might get me killed, but I have to do it in my life. <laughs> it's, it's up there. <laughs> Shanked, right hooked, one of the yeah, hundred uh, yeah. percent. I love the Jay stories right at the end. Wish they had a positive spin on them, but uh, sadly they do not, Eric. Um, but this was this whole experience, this chat today was positive. Thanks for giving us some time, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, there you go. That was Eric Sabrowski. Interview brought to you by Twig and Berries. Use the promo code NATION15, gets you 15% off twigginberries.ca. Free shipping in Canada on order $75 or more. Coombsy, I hope you got some nice twig and berries under the tree this year for Christmas waiting for you. Did you uh, buy me anything? No, I did not. You didn't buy me a gift? Should, should have used the promo code, then I could have, I could have got you a nice pair of nutsack underwear. Time, like three or four days, depending on when you're listening to this. It's the 21st Fair for us, so if you want to buy me a Christmas gift, use yeah, <laughs> no problem. Uh, that was a really cool chat that the, he's, he's an insightful guy. Like I know him personally. So I've had conversations like this, you know, we were at the Oilers nation party together a few months ago, but getting to hear him actually like drill down and talk about specifics of being a minor league ball player, really interesting stuff. Oh yeah. I love hearing stories about minor league ball. Like, I mean, it can be somewhat depressing hearing about guys like his, his line about guys just giving up because they simply aren't making enough cash. It's very sad. Like you feel for guys where that happens, yeah. but it's also like, minor league stories are very funny. They're very entertaining, very interesting. It's just like, I find it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more of an authentic baseball experience. It feels like I I don't don't know how to explain that, but guys describing their minor league stories are always very entertaining to me. Like him just being like, Oh yeah, this guy hit this 7,000 like foot home run off of me. It's, It's very funny. Uh, he was five selections away from the Toronto blue Jays in the MILB rule five draft, triple a rule five draft. Jays can use some more uh, hand bullpen arms. I think and some if, more Canadians too. If we I lost remember, two Canadians yeah. in the minor league rule five draft. If I remember correctly, I think his age. It's either I think his agent is the same as Romano, or he comes from the same agency that represents Romano. Hey, how about that for a dual threat in a few years out of the Jays bullpen? If it would have worked out. Um, yeah, eighth yeah. and ninth inning, just two Canadian guys. That's what we really? need. Just a, more, just full Canadian bullpen. <laughs> really cool stuff, and. Uh, I, I liked when he talked a little bit about, you know, like he's a minor leaguer. He notices what those other organizations have done, right? He talked about Houston. He talked about LA and like guys notice this stuff. And I really, really hope going forward that we get more of the whole, 
hey, the housing, or we know the housing is paid for, but hey, your housing's paid for. And also, yeah, we're, we're taking in the $100,000 or $150,000 to have you guys a, a live-in chef as well. Like we're going to do that so you guys can take care of yourselves better and focus even more time just on becoming better baseball players and not more time focusing on like, all right, I got my per diem. If I get an extra large pizza, I can eat it for the next day and a half. And like, that'll save me a little bit of money, right? Like shit like that. Like it, it, it's a really good step for baseball that this is happening. It is. And I think as time goes along, we've heard the Blue Jays have kind of been at the forefront of this. They were one of the first organizations to be doing the pay raise for minor leaguers. So I hope that we do hear more stories. The story that he said about the Dodgers, the living chef or the Astros doing blah, blah, blah. I I hope we hear the Jays are doing cool stuff because, you know, they rant and rave about the new Dunedin facility. They did a lot of work to get that done. That's supposed to be very advantageous to the franchise. So it'd be nice to hear these kinds of things as well. Yeah. Uh, Coombsy, you have a uh, good holiday season. Sure. I will do that. You too. Uh, before we wrap up, got to give some love to the sports closet, SportsCloset.ca. You know, maybe you got a little bit of cash for Christmas and you're sitting there and you're like, ah, I want to pick up a new Jersey or a new hat, whether it's the Jays or your favorite NFL, CFL, NHL, NBA team. They got it all SportsCloset.ca. They will ship to you as well. Load up. Check out our friends at sports closet. Are they, do they have available uh, Freddie Freeman blue Jays jerseys yet? Uh, no, Cam. no, they, they no, they do not. They should. That that's a good spot to end the pod. I'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave, okay. it at that. we'll leave it at that. Thanks for tuning in. This has been episode 58 of BJN Radio brought to you by DoorDash. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 